and the power and fullness of the Holy Spirit in his workings and operations, and so is enabled to cast his soul upon the truth thus believed, and also acteth differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of saving faith have immediate relation to Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. So think about this. We're talking about saving faith tonight. We talk about conversion. So we've been leading up to conversion. So what begins with regeneration, God changing our heart first, giving us a new heart, a heart that's able to see, able to believe. And that heart then is able to, the, to the, our hearts then are able to respond to the effectual call. We hear, all of a sudden we hear the gospel, we get it, we see it. And our response is two things, and it results in conversion. Two parts to conversion, saving faith, saving faith, and repentance. And so we're talking about saving faith. We begin the paragraph by saying, by this faith, that is saving faith, a Christian believeth to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word for the authority of God himself. And also apprehendeth an excellency therein above all other writings and things in the world. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word of God is the authority of God. It's God speaking to us through the word. The word carries the full authority of God because it's God's words. And we see Paul defending himself before Felix in Acts 24. In verse 14, and he says, but I confess to you, he was falsely accused, by the way, that according to the way, which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Do you believe everything that's written in the word of God? Sadly, there are many that profess to be Christians today that don't. They don't believe in creation. They don't believe, some don't believe in the resurrection. Some don't believe in the deity of Christ. They pick and choose. This, was for, this is for today. That was for then. But the Apostle Paul believed in all of it. And this excellency that we see in the scriptures is unlike any other piece of literature anywhere, anything in the world. Take the greatest... Literary writers, the the greatest writers of any age, and they pale in comparison to the scriptures. The psalmist said in in Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, 
and much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. See, when, 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 when saving faith has come alive in us, when it's real in us, we will take the word of God for what it is to be the words of God. We'll believe it to be so. We accept it. We receive it. How many, how many copies of Scripture, I asked my children this tonight, how many copies of Scripture, how many Bibles do you think have been printed? I'll give you a clue. I, I, well, I'm not positive. I couldn't find it, but I think I read it a couple weeks ago, that there's 400 million copies of the King James Bible alone that have been printed. 400 million. I think that that's right. And it would be right because the, the total number printed to date is about, about 6 billion Bibles have been printed. That's a, that would probably make the New York Times bestseller list, don't you think? The gospel as believers, as we first read it, as we read the scriptures the first time, it's alive and it, we're in awe and it speaks to us and it's self-attesting and we see that it's beautiful and it's excellent and it's lovely. Some years ago we were in Istanbul and when you, when, you, when you hear in Islam, you hear the call to prayer, it sends shivers down your spine. It's something is creepy about it. But even as an unbeliever, if you hear the 23rd Psalm, if you, so often at weddings we read uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that love is patient, love is kind. And you see these words are so beautiful, just in themselves, apart from... What they are is inspired and, 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 and alive in the word of God, but is literature. They're beautiful. To hear the Beatitudes, to, to hear the Lord say that, that we should consider the lilies of the field, that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was arrayed like one of these. It's beautiful. It's excellent. And we come to Christ and, and we believe the word. We believe every word of it, that it's true. As an old friend of mine used to say, from Genesis to maps, we believe it to be true. I'm not too sure about the maps being inspired, but we know from Genesis to Revelation, it's inspired. It's the word of God. You can trust it. You can take it to the bank. And this word, that by this faith a Christian believeth to be true, whatsoever is revealed. Hey, this is one of the great truths of the, of the Reformation, Scripture, sola scriptura, that it's Scripture alone that we, can, we, can, we have everything that we need for life and godliness in the Scriptures. And most importantly, we have the means of grace that teaches us how we might know God, how we might deal with sin. As it bears forth the glory of God in his attributes, the excellency of Christ in his nature and offices, and the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit in his workings and operations. The Bible tells us who God is. It tells us what he demands of us, what he's like. 
And one of the reasons why we do the Behold Your God study is because it's going through the attributes of God. And if you want to know God, you should know who he is. Not make up your own mind and determine who you think he is. But what does God say about himself? I had a co-worker uh, a year ago. She, had, she said to me, she, her and her husband were thinking about leaving the Catholic Church and were looking, wanted to find another church. And I gave her J.I. Packer's book. I said, you guys need to read this together because you need, before you go looking for a church, you should discover who God is, what he's like, and what he demands of us. See, the scriptures testify. The Pharisees, they were using the scriptures wrong. They kept coming. And, 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 you search the scriptures because you think that in them you find life. But Jesus said, they're, they're they which testify of me. And scripture ought to lead us to Christ. And come to him that we might have life. And so is enabled Again, by this saving faith, by this saving faith, we're enabled to cast our soul. He's able to cast his soul upon the truth thus believed and also acteth differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth, yielding obedience to the commands. Different passages, they speak to every aspect in different areas of our life and there's different commands to be obeyed. But this saving faith enables us to cast our soul upon God, hoping and trusting and clinging to him. This faith, by the way, we're talking about, it's a gift of God. And this gift of God comes to us by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's in the word of God that we hear and we're able to cast our souls upon the truth of Christ, the word. This enabling allows us like Paul to be so convinced, so persuaded Paul was suffering many things, the loss of many things, suffering in his body immensely, beaten often. And he's able to say to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 1.12, it's a passage we're well familiar with. He said, for this reason, I also suffer these things. See, he's been enabled by a saving faith to tr- totally trust and cling, and cling to Christ. And he, he says, nevertheless... He says, I am also able to suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. See, if the resurrection isn't true, if Christ isn't real, our faith is in vain, and we of all men are most miserable because we've given up much in this world. For the world to come. And this enablement and saving faith allows us to cast ourselves completely on Christ, on his merit, and on his person. 
It's not just a mental ascent. Listen to me, young people. Many people, oh yeah, I believe that that's true. I heard it my whole life. I believe that. Really? I was being interviewed for a radio program many years ago. It wasn't church-related. It was a business-related thing. And we got to be, we were, I was talking with a guy who was interviewing me on the program, and, and in the break, you know, it, it, because I testified of Christ, and on the break he said, well, I'm a Christian too. And we were kind of talking back and forth, and as, as, as the interview ended and we were off the radio and everything, and, and then all of a sudden it came out that he was living with his girlfriend, and he'd been living with her for many years, claiming to be Christians. See, true saving faith results not just in that area of our lives, but in every area of our life. It results in a change in behavior. See, if you believe that the building is on fire, you can believe, hey, the, the, there's a fire in the kitchen. The building is on fire. But if you don't get up and leave, you don't really believe that the building is on fire, do you? See, true faith causes us to act, to make a commitment. James said, you know, you believe, but it, I will show you my faith by my works. And what he was saying is real faith results in a change in behavior. And then he says, even the demons believe. Jesus, are you come to, are you come to, are you come to torture us before our time? James says at least they tremble. And today we have people that confess to know Christ, but they don't even tremble, which we'll see here. There's a trembling at his word in Isaiah 6. Trembling, and this is is part of our statement, trembling at the threatenings and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. And he takes that from Isaiah 66 too. For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Saints, when was the last time we trembled at his word? Or do we read right over stuff and we miss it? John said, or Jesus said, my, you are my friends if you do whatever I command. See, it's this saving faith that so enables us to put all of our hopes and dreams and aspirations and all of our hope of salvation, all of our hope of having our sin dealt with, casting it all upon Christ. This is what enables a fisherman to leave his nets. It's what enables another fisherman to leave his father and his boats it's what enables mothers to give up their children or to not accept deliverance that they might have a better resurrection. That's from Hebrews chapter 11. How could they do that? Because their faith was real, was alive, it was committed. And you'll see. In Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, in verse 13, all of these pilgrims, that's what they were. They were sojourners. They all died in faith, not having received the promises, 
But having seen them from afar off, they were assured of them. That word assured, the King James, I like it better than the New King James. It's, it were persuaded of them. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth and whom the world was not worthy, by the way. As we work our way down, but the principal acts of saving faith have immediate relation to Christ, accepting, receiving, resting upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. We know from John 1.12, but as many as received him, to him gave he the right to become the sons of God. To those who believe in his name. This is saving faith. Believing. On the name of the son of God. Believing on his finished work on the cross. Believing that. Your sin was placed on him. And his righteousness has been placed on you. That the father was accept, has accepted his sacrifice on your behalf. Sam Waldron says, saving faith is the conviction. It's a conviction. It's not a preference. It's not, yeah, I think that that's right. Yeah, I'm okay with that. No, it's a conviction. It's in your core of what you believe and who you are. That the gospel is true. You're confident it's true. You're positive. You know it's true. And I know that's true. I know it's true. I know in my knower it's true, if you know what I mean. You know that it's reliable, that this book, the gospel, it's reliable and you can trust it and you can take it to the bank. You're trusting it, your life to it. It's abandoning ourselves and trusting our future and our salvation to Christ and his gospel. And here's the promise. Listen, if you think, if you haven't done this, in Acts 16.31, so they said, here's, what, what, what must we do to be saved? It's not say the sinner's prayer. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the apostles preached. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In other places, it says repent and believe. And not just with our heads. Listen, this faith is not just a mental ascent. Yeah, I believe that. Jesus died for my sin. It's, it's with your whole soul, with all of your heart. It's with your mind. It's with your will. Because your will is going to change your behavior. It's with your emotions. Anybody know who Charles Blondin was? In 1860, Charles Blondin was a French tightrope walker. And he crossed Niagara Falls on a tightrope. He went from the United States to Canada over Niagara Falls. 11,000 feet of rope. 160 feet above the falls. Then he did it backwards. 
And then he did it blindfolded. And then he did it on stilts. And then he did it on a bicycle. And then he pushed a wheelbarrow across the falls full of potatoes. And when he got to the other side, he asked the crowd, Do you think that I could push a man across the falls in this wheelbarrow? And they all yelled, Yes, of course you can. Who would like to get in the wheelbarrow? See, that's faith. We've stopped hedging our bets. We're going to enjoy everything that the world has to offer. We've stopped hedging our bets. Everything is banking on Christ. And we can say, like Paul in Galatians 2.20, the first Bible verse I ever memorized as a Christian, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me. See, conversion is two things, saving faith and repentance. It's a turning repentance. It's a turning from sin. But it's more than just turning from sin. It's turning to something. More specifically, it's turning to someone. It's turning to Christ. To the natural man, that's foolishness. To the Greeks, that was foolishness. Because we believe in reason. There's got to be a mathematical formula. We have to be able to figure it out. The kind of faith I'm talking about is the kind of faith that caused Abraham to believe. See, all reason said Sarah can't have a child. She's not even, there's there's not even an egg anymore. She's past menopause. She can't even have children. It's the kind of faith that believes that God, if he said he would do it, he will do it. And Abraham believed God when Sarah was almost 100, is what the scripture says in in Romans. So saints, the saving faith, it's a full persuasion. It's putting all of your hope, all of your trust, casting all your cares upon him. It's not the temporary faith that we see in the parable of the sower. Remember, Jesus said on that parable, if you don't understand this parable, you will not understand. If you understand this parable, you'll understand all things. And we see the temporary faith of those where the seed fell on stony ground or the weeds came up and choked it out. This isn't that kind of faith. This is the real deal. It results in salvation, justification, sanctification, ultimately glorification. It results in a changed life. Father, thank you for sending Christ to save us. Thank you for doing what we could never do ourselves. Thank you for taking us and pulling us from the muck and mire, the pit of sin. 
Thank you for setting us upon the rock. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We're so grateful. Father, pour out faith upon this congregation. Pour out faith upon our children. May they cling to you. May they, may they trust you. Oh, Father, open the eyes of their understanding. Do the work that no man can do in Christ's name.